go, I'd like for you to do this. Put your hands on your lap and your left pinky, let's say your left pinky would be, would answer the question like, yeah, this would be the, this would be the hardest. Like this is the hard pinky to the, to my question, the answer. And your right pinky is easiest. Like this is the best it's been. This is the worst it's ever been. Okay. So just kind of get a sense of where you are this morning and, and kind of get it just a feel. So push the finger that you think represents the answer to the question on that continuum. And the first question is, how tired are you? And that could be emotionally, physically, spiritually, and sometimes those are hard to distinguish. But how tired? Just push the finger that sort of describes how tired you feel this morning. Left pinky the most tired, right pinky the least tired. All right. And then here's what I'd like for you to do. I'm going to go kind of one, two, three. And I'd like for you to just whisper that number if you don't want. You don't have to. You can, you can keep it quiet. But if you want to, just whisper that number under your breath. One, two, three, six. All right. Then I'd like for you to um, answer one more question. And that is how lonely do you feel? Left pinky the most lonely I felt. Right pinky the least. One, two, three. I'm going to read from a passage of Scripture. My sense is that this passage of Scripture was was written to some tired and lonely people. They had been followers of Jesus, but they had come to a place where, for whatever reason, they were contemplating giving up. External pressure, they had been scattered, they, they were persecuted. They had come to Jesus, but then the very people, their community, their families rejected them because of that decision. And they began to wonder, should I keep doing this and why? And is it really worth it? Those kinds of questions. And, and I think if we were to ask them that question, there would have been a lot of ones and twos on their lap. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down and especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross and disregarding, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. And then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not given your lives in your struggle against sin. I, um, I, I may have read from a translation that was different on the board. I, I didn't check. But, um, but either way, it's kind of nice to get a couple of different little perspectives on that. I'm going to share with you an experience that happened to me several years ago that will be a little bit of the, uh, the template for our conversation this morning. And I don't remember how long ago it was, but some friends invited me to go backpacking with them. And I will confess to you, I have no interest in backpacking. <laughs> I, like, I feel like we sort of work hard and, so that we can have a place to live and a comfortable place to sleep. So it makes no sense to me on vacation we would pretend to be homeless. I don't, like, like I, my brain doesn't comprehend this. And, and so, 
they, they, but I wanted to be with these guys, and they, they were, they'd become buddies, and so I thought, well, I, I will do this just to be with them. It so happens that one of my, my very best friends in the world is an expeditionist. Now, you have to be careful how you say that word. <laughs> but this word means that he has traveled all over the world and has climbed the highest peaks on almost every continent, except for the highest con- peak in Asia, and he can tell you why he chose not to do Everest. But when I told him about this adventure I was going on, he was so happy. Like, he, was, he thought, finally, Carl has seen the light. Finally, I can introduce him to this, to this new way of experience. So he brought, so I have nothing. What do I have for backpacking? I, I, don't, I, don't have, I didn't have anything. So he took me into his basement, and I'm not lying. He had nine backpacks. Like, you wouldn't think that there is a unique backpack for every kind of experience. And so he asked me, he said, where are you going? I said, we're going to go to the someplace in Wyoming, I don't know, a mountain range there. And he said, how long are you going to be gone? Well, we're going to be four nights. And this is what he does. He kind of looks through. So, mountain. And he picks the specific pack for four days in Wyoming. Like, that's pretty crazy. And then, and then he thought about how cold it would be, and he had all these sleeping bags. So he got the right sleeping bag. And then he got, he got the, the pad you sleep on. That one he didn't do so well on. But anyhow, <laughs> I don't think he understood it was the ground. The ground is what I'm sleeping on. But anyhow, so I got all my equipment. And then he said to me that the, the, the secret to backpacking is to be as light as you possibly can. And so we squeezed into a baggie how much toothpaste he thought I would need. We broke my toothbrush in half. He told me I would only need one extra pair of underwear. I thought, you're a pig. But anyhow, I didn't say that. <laughs> then he, he, he told me one pair of shorts, a pair of wool pants. He gave me a special... You get the idea. Very sparse. And my backpack was as light as it possibly could be. We drive up to the to the trailhead and as we get there we lay out our equipment that we're going to have to all share and everybody's got to take a little bit of the things that we're going to have in common the food some of the tents that kind of stuff and so everybody takes an equal share of that puts it in the backpack and off we go my friend said it would be about a 10 or 11 mile hike to camp and i haven't done this before but i'm as we're hiking along it's this beautiful i have to admit i'm going I'm surprised at how much I'm enjoying this. There was this beautiful tree-covered valley. And the, and the path was a gradual incline. And this is marvelous. And it's not nearly as difficult as I thought it was going to be. And I don't mean to brag, but I was kind of winning. Like, I was in front. And I, you could see exactly where the trail went. And there were the little signs. And, and it, was, it, was, it really was magical. I, I loved it. And we come what feels to be, and I, I, I thought maybe this was the end, about nine miles in, and there's a, it becomes a horseshoe-type canyon, and the trail ends, except the one trail heads up a cliff. <laughs> and my friends finally catch up with me, and then they say to me this, we're camping up there. <laughs> and I'm in this beautiful, lush tree meadow, and up there is only rocks and no trees. It's a long way up there. 
And so we begin this ascent, and I'm telling you, this was miserable. And, and they're, they're, they're gaining more and more distance from me. I had spent all my energy winning the nine-mile race, and now they're way ahead of me. And there are places where we are just hand, hand over hand. Try, I'm trying to crawl, and, and, and they're trying to encourage me, and, and, and I'm hating them at this moment. I hate them. I, I, I feel like I'm giving birth to a lung. It hurts so bad. And, and I'm thinking, my gosh, what was wrong? The, God made the meadow. What's wrong with the meadow? And, and in fact, we passed a couple of hotels. Couldn't we sleep at the hotel and, and, and go for a little walk? I don't understand. I'm so upset about this, and it hurts so bad. And I don't know, how, they had been there maybe an hour. I don't know how long. I finally, literally crawl into camp and collapse. And it is beautiful. It's this way above treeline. There's this pristine alpine lake. You can see 20, 30 feet, huge trout. It, it, was, it really was beautiful. And as I lie there near death, <laughs> I hear them giggling. And I think, Jesus wouldn't do that. <laughs> That's not nice. And then we unpack our backpacks, and I discover there's an initiation that new backpackers are supposed to go through, and that is as we were back at the base camp separating the common equipment, they had a little game to see how many rocks they could put into my backpack. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> And I tell you, if I had not been that exhausted, I would be serving time right now. <laughs> because I gave up underwear. I could have carried 20 underwear for the cost of one. And it was awful. So here's what I learned on that experience. It, there's no big secret here. I learned a couple of things. One, that had I been alone, if I'd been all by myself, there is no way I would have made it to the top of that mountain. And secondly, that backpacking is hard, but when you carry more weight than is necessary, it's almost impossible. And so as we're going to kind of look at this little passage, we're going to discover that it sort of fits that story. Let me, let me read, the, I'll just read the first part here. Therefore, since we've been surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Now, what does that mean? Well, Hebrews 12 is preceded by Hebrews 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 is like the Hall of Fame of the Bible. It's filled with story after story after story after story of people who lived by faith incredibly difficult lives of faith. But the, the one thing they held in common is they all sort of made it to the end. Some barely, some crawled into heaven. And some with their faith completely intact. But their stories, their stories surround us. They are the friends who are with us as we are on this journey. So there, there's some, I'll give you just some examples. There's lots and lots of them. The story of Noah, for instance. So you think about Noah. I mean, I know it's a cute story, but if you really think about it, imagine the, imagine the difficulty. Imagine what it was like to spend, we don't know, but some scholars guess, a hundred years Building a boat. Now that's difficult enough, right? But let's imagine for a moment where he is he building this boat. It's possible, the scriptures say, that it had never actually rained in the way that we experienced rain before the flood of Noah. But regardless, 
It had never flooded before Noah. Nobody knew what a flood was. Nobody had experienced a flood. And so Noah is building a boat. And when you typically do build boats, as you understand, boats are built near the coast. Right? Especially boats like this. There's nothing that's going to be carrying them anywhere. There's no not enough horses that could drag an ark to water. But this boat is built nowhere near water. So for a hundred years, your neighbor is building a boat in the middle of an empty and dry field. Would you let your children play with his children? <laughs> No, you're convinced. This guy's totally whacked. Like he is beyond lithium is not going to help this guy. This is he passed that. And when they would ask him, Noah, why are you building a boat in the middle of nowhere that is taking you 100 years your whole life? He would say. Because God told me. That's the best he could do. That's all he had. There's the story of Abram, Abraham at this point. God says to him, it says that, let me see if I can find it real quick. I wanted to, um, well, I, can't, I thought I marked it. It doesn't matter. It says, God says to him, hey, Abraham, I want you to move. I want you to leave. Abraham was incredibly wealthy, maybe the wealthiest man alive at that time. He, he owned land and sheep and Slaves and people. I mean, it was amazing, his wealth. And God says, I want you to go to a new place. Abraham says, where is that place? God says, I'll let you know later. <laughs> so it says he left not knowing where he was going. And you can imagine people going, why are you doing this? And what was his only answer? Because God told me to. It's, it comes to a place in his life where God asks him to go through this test of where he's going to sacrifice his son. And again, when his son asked him, Dad, why are you doing this? Because God told me. Story after story after story. And you and I will think, well, maybe somehow they were special people. I love this one. In the, in the great hall of faith... I'll read this one for you. I did mark this one down. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. Yeah. You got to admit, you got to love that. So those of us that think that we are disqualified because our lives are such in shambles that, that we could never be a person who could survive by faith. A woman who made her living demonstrated faith in a way that saved her. I used to think, and I have taught, that, that the imagery of the, the cloud of witnesses would be sort of like running at the, at the bottom of Mile High Stadium, filled, the stadium filled with, with people who have gone before us cheering us on. And there we are running. It's not bad, but I don't think that's quite accurate. For the last several years, my wife and I have participated with another couple with our friends Kathy and Jose, which a lot of you know, we, uh, we have participated in the Boulder Boulder. And I don't know if you know what the Boulder Boulder is. It's now, I think, the largest or second largest 10K in the United States. And you can walk or run. I, I choose the, the walking part. 
<laughs> but there is something, if you've never done it, it is, it's amazing. There are, and I'm not exaggerating, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. And they shut down tons of boulder and you walk in the street and you're in this mob. You're in a sea of people and people on the edges, people whose houses you're going by. Almost everywhere you go, there's somebody with a band or they're dressed up in costumes or they spray you with water to cool you down or they give you a little treat. It's amazing. There's people with big signs. Give me a hug. So you go give them a hug. And I'm telling you right now, I think if you I don't think you could quit if you wanted to quit. Somehow that mob would just push you along. And 10K is, what is that, six-something miles. It's not, a, it's not a short little walk. You come to the end, and it's the fastest, easiest six miles you've ever walked in your life. I kind of, I feel like that's what he intended for us. That we're all in this life of faith. It's, it's difficult. It's not easy. But we're not alone. But... Many of us, even though we live a life of faith or try as best we can, we, we live in a, in a community we call church. We feel lonely. We don't feel connected. We don't feel like we're part of the mob. We feel like our stories disqualify us. Our shame keeps us quiet. But he intended for us to walk in a mob. I want to remind you of one little thing as you're reading the Scriptures. The Scriptures were not written to you. Let me explain what I mean by that. They were written to us. Almost every incident, with very few exceptions, the Bible was written to a community of people who listened to this in a community of people. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with certainly reading our Bibles alone is a, certainly appropriate and, and very spiritually helpful discipline. But primarily for centuries, the scriptures were written and people listened together. It was something we did together. Living this life of faith is like walking this boulder, boulder. It, it's much less like a when I play golf by myself. It's not an activity that is solo. It is a group sport. If I had been on that hike by myself, I would have never made it. If I walked my Christian experience alone, I would never make it. Not only that, I'm not just alone, but weight tends to slow us down. Let me read what it says. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down and especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run without ever giving up. Let's run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So he talks about, I think, two different kinds of rocks. Rock, number one, I'm going to share with first, he, he shares seconds, is sin. If I were to have you shout out, if I were to say sin, what do you think of? Well, you would have some good, good answers. Most likely, you don't need me to help you know what sin is. Whatever you're thinking of, that'll do. And there's no question we could spend, and we could spend a lot of our time today talking about that and how that is this extra weight we carry. We carry the shame of it. We carry when, when we, when we sin, 
we are in fact isolating ourselves. Think about whatever came to your mind. Sexual, uh, as it does with money, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. Here's my theory. My theory is that it will always lead you away from community. It will always isolate you. Somebody once told me, as I was in my own recovery, that our addictions want to get us alone so they can kill us. I think that is so true. Whatever it is, it wants you alone so it can kill you. But he talks about something else. He says, and the weight that, and the weight that so easily gets us, or the weight that weighs us down. I think weight is different than the sin. I think weight is that thing that is specific to me, but may not be specific to you. I think I shared with you one of the first times I came that I've, I've had to struggle with alcohol. I don't think alcohol is wrong. I had somebody tell me once that beer is evidence that God loves them. I understand that. <laughs> so it's, it's not that alcohol, I mean, for pity's sake, that was Jesus' first miracle. So it can't be the essence, it can't be the substance but it can be how I am genetically, who knows why, I, unlike my wife, cannot have a drink. Because if I have a drink, that won't be enough. And everybody has, I believe, everybody has something that is specific to them that is not specific to everybody. I've got a brother-in-law who is able to my absolute deep irritation. He's able to eat anything he wants and not gain weight. I, if I walk too close to an Oreo, it jumps on me. I have, I, I don't know what it is. I have this unbelievable problem with, with sugar. I don't understand it. I don't, you know, I laugh. Have you ever seen, have you ever, look, Next time you're at the grocery store, get a, get a, a, a tub of Haagen-Dazs, all right? And it's going to lie to you. And I'll tell you how it lies. Because on the back, it says it's four servings. I think that's silly. A serving is how much I can eat at once. <laughs> that is a serving to me. You get the idea. But I would never say that Haagen-Dazs or sugar is wrong. But it's a weight. And when I'm in that cycle, when I'm in that cycle, when I've given in to that thing that is unique to me, maybe not unique to you, I can't say, but everybody else gets to. It must not be that big a deal because it's a big deal to me and there's no question. It leads me to be isolated. It lead in shame and out of community. And it makes what is already difficult almost impossible. See, I have this theory about the Christian experience Maybe different than your theory. My theory is it gets harder, not easier. And the reason I believe it gets harder, not easier, is it is like a race. It is like a marathon. And mile 24 is way more difficult than mile one. I think we accumulate a lot of our pain. We accumulate our experiences. We accumulate relationships that are going to both hurt us and help us. But we often have been told that the longer you go, the easier it'll get. And I haven't experienced that. But as difficult as it is, it's almost impossible when you carry the extra weight of either the sin or the weight that is unique to you. 
I, several years ago, I was doing youth ministry at uh, Green Mountain High School. And so to um, sort of get in and have a relationship with kids, sort of meet kids, I volunteered as a coach. So I did football and then I did track. And I know nothing about track. Well, I know something about track. Track is very easy to coach. Run fast, turn left. That's it. That's, that's the extent of my knowledge, and it worked pretty well. That's how it goes. So I had this relay race. Relays are kind of the fun part of putting things together for um, uh, track. And so you put together this 800 meter. You put together mile relays. You put all these relays together. And I had this kid who was a distance runner, um, but he was lousy at it. He, he was terrible. Um, but he was a great kid, and he was very dedicated, and he worked hard every, every practice. The kids that were naturally talented, honestly, they would goof off sometimes. They would go, this kid never goofed off. He was always diligent, always trained. And we were coming to the district meet, the very last meet of the year, and one of my, one of my uh, distance relay runners had gotten ill and wasn't going to be able to run. And all I had left was to put this kid into that relay. And we told him a couple days beforehand... He shows up at the district race, and he has on his feet a pair of what are called, at that time, were called Nike Air Socks. I'll explain to you what that is. A Nike Air Sock is a, is a shoe that is used only for competing. It has very, very, very little sole. It has no arch support. It has no cushioning. So you, could, you, you would ruin your feet if you trained in it, but you can run a single race in it. It costs like 80 bucks to $100. And the difference between the the air sock and a regular shoe was just a couple of ounces. But so committed had this kid become to being as light as he possibly could. He spent that money for this one race. And the gun goes off. And do you know where he finished that day? Dead last. I told you he was terrible. (laughs) You know, kind of pay attention, people. No. The point is... He knew the value of being as light as he possibly could. And while he didn't finish well, he finished as best he could because of it. We, uh, we don't run alone. You won't make it alone. It's hard to make it if you're carrying a lot of weight. And finally, and I don't have a clever way to say this, There is something about Jesus. He reads it this way, or he says it this way. I'll read it. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy that was awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. There's something about Jesus, that without him, this is impossible. Exactly what it is that Jesus does, he does lots of stuff. But I'm not so sure I can explain it exactly to you, how this love of God manifests in this person, Jesus, who was God and walked the earth. I don't know that I can totally explain that to you. But there are lots of things that I can't explain. There's a lot of things I don't fully understand, but I believe I don't understand electricity, but I do a lot of handyman remodeling stuff. I just rewired a a 220-volt sub-panel with 50 amps. That's a lot of electricity. I know how to do that, but I could not for the life of me tell you when I push that button, it becomes illuminated in here. 
I have no idea how that works. I don't understand it. It's some kind of voodoo. It doesn't make sense to me. But I believe it. I don't understand. I don't understand this person of Jesus fully. And the reason I'm saying this is I know people who have become discouraged in the faith because in the faith because they cannot comprehend what Jesus has done. It doesn't make sense to them that He would love us, that He would die for us. What does that mean? How does that work? I don't know exactly how it works. But I can see story after story of Him giving to me His life. I can see story after story of God pursuing me because He cares about me. He loves me. I don't understand fully why. Another part about Jesus is there's a misunderstanding often about Jesus, and that is that Jesus was superhuman. I don't believe that. I believe Jesus was super empowered. I believe he was God, but I don't believe he was superhuman. I shared with you my struggle with sugar. Let's say Todd and I. Todd, we're going to have a little bet, okay? And Todd and I are going to go two weeks without any sugar. Don't panic. Just pretend today, all right? He's breaking out in a cold sweat. So we're going to go two weeks, no sugar, and we can't tell anybody. That's going to be part of the little deal. It's just going to be between the two of us, and then we'll meet back in two weeks. So about four days into this, all I can think about is sugar. I am obsessed with sugar. That's all. I dream about sugar. I mean, I'm, I'm breaking this. I'm sorry. This is if you're a heroin junkie. This is what you do. So, and I'm wanting to mainline sugar. That, that's, I, I, I can't think. I'm jonesing, as they say. Man, I got to have it. About day seven, day eight, my wife bakes a German chocolate cake with double icing. The icing's all that matter. Cake is simply a mechanism to carry icing. <laughs> and, and she says to me as she's leaving me alone, Honey, I baked you a cake. I don't need it for anything. It's all for you. Because she doesn't know about our little bet. And I'm in the living room trying to stay away from the cake. But then the cake begins to sing to me. <laughs> Carl, come here. Now, who wouldn't want it? you got to see a singing cake. I mean, you got to go look at that. And So I go look at the singing cake. And you know where this is going to go. I'm going to get real close just to smell it. But I'm going to get a little on my nose. And i got to taste that and get it off. And, and something will snap in me. I'll have some kind of, I don't know what it is, some sort of aneurysm. And I will... I will dive into this thing, and I have many times eaten a half a cake, no problem. If you drink a little milk, you can, you can get it down. <laughs> right? And I'm going to tell you, those few moments before I feel so sick, I'm going to throw up. I'm relieved. Right? All the wanting, all the needing, all the energy given is gone. Just for a few moments, it's gone. I get back together with Todd, and I say to Todd, I say, hey, Todd, my struggle not to eat sugar was worse than yours. It was so bad, I couldn't resist the temptation. But Todd would say to me, Carl, that's not true. My struggle was worse because I never knew what it was like for the pressure to go away. It says that on the last night of Jesus' um, existence before he went to the cross, it says he prayed all night, and we have a glimpse of some of what he prayed about. But we hear just this one sentence, Lord, if there's any way, if there's any other way we can do this, 
I don't want to do this. Jesus had gone his entire existence never once doing what he wanted to do just because he wanted to do it. Jesus never once knew what it was like for the pressure to be selfish and to have your own way and to do what would feel good just because it feels good. He never once knew what that was like for that to go away. And then it says that Jesus, in this book of Hebrews, can look each of us in the eye, knowing whatever it is, our sin or our weight, and looks us in the eye and goes, man, I know exactly what you're going through. Because I've been tempted exactly with what you are being tempted with. I know exactly what that feels like. And that's why it says he's the champion of our faith. Do I fully comprehend it? I don't. But by looking to him, it helps me run. The reason I love this passage is I know a lot of people who are spiritually tired. And like me in the meadow, they want to stop right there and they just feel like they're done and they can't do it. And I guess I want to say, I think this passage would encourage you that you can, even when you feel like you can't. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for me and I pray for my friends here that we would never give up, we would never give in. Lord, we would never forsake you, that we would never step outside of the life that you have given us. And we're going to stumble, Lord. You know we're going to stumble. You know we're going to sin. You know we're going to give in to our weights. You know we're going to do that. And thank you, Jesus, that you know what it feels like to have that temptation. So help us. Oh, God, help us never give up. I pray for this, for this fellowship that they would run together in a mob, bearing each other's burdens, laughing with those who laugh and weeping with those who weep, and that we would make it to the end. Amen.